Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. I am once again your host, the one and only Kid Kong, and today we're going to be going into my first official what is called under the genre of, I guess, would be chick flicks. I don't personally consider it a chick flick. I just think it's a great movie. Legally Blonde, which came out in 2001. Side note, for anybody who cares, my favorite, personal favorite chick flick is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. So, and one day I probably will cover that as well. Legally Blonde, of course, like I said, came out in 2001. It was directed by Robert Lukedich, who, this was actually his first full-length film. Um, he's done other films since then, including 21, Killers, The Ugly Truth, The Wedding Year. Uh, he's an Australian director who got his, I don't want to say his invitation into Hollywood, but he was kind of like a, oh, this guy should come to Hollywood and direct movies off of a short film called... I want to say Tizzarini Bubarelli. I have not seen it. I have not looked into it with a title like that, though. How could you not at some point? <laughs> uh, it was produced by Mark Platt, who Mark Platt has produced quite a few films, but three of which, Bridge of Spies, La La Land, and The Trial of the Chicago 7, all three of those films were nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. So he's... He's a pretty well-regarded producer. Now, it was written by a team of... Uh, I'm sorry, not a team. A duo of writers, Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith, who have worked together on a lot of other films, including 10 Things I Hate About You, The House Bunny, She's the Man, Ella Enchanted, and Crazy Kind of Love. Now, they did not write this screenplay by themselves. They wrote the screenplays for this with the assistance of Amanda Brown. Now, Amanda Brown wrote a novel about her personal experiences going to Stanford Law, being a young blonde woman obsessed with fashion called Legally Blonde. Yes, this was based on a book. Um, obviously, they changed things around for the movie, made it so it was Harvard Law and whatnot. Now, Amanda actually did not end up getting her Juris Doctorate in Law. So, of course, again, this is a film. They like to fictionalize some things. And... A little interesting tidbit I found while researching this is that books based out of Stanford Law, where she went to school, Reese Witherspoon, who portrays Elle Woods in this film, who is based on Amanda Brown, actually went to Stanford University. She didn't graduate, but she still went, and I just thought that was a pretty cool little connection. Of course, the film was made on a budget of about $18 million. Box office, it pulled in almost $142 million, and it was pretty well received by most people. I mean, it had its detractors, of course, but, uh, of course, as I said earlier, the film is about a young fashion student who had a bachelor's in, I want to say fashion. There's a much better distinction I can make on that, but it's, it's early in the morning, folks. <laughs> and her, at the time, boyfriend does not propose to her as expected, but instead breaks up with her to move across country to go to Harvard University. She decides that she can get back together with him if she goes to Harvard and shows that she is smart too, gets accepted, and over the course of the film decides that not only does she not want to just be a trophy wife on his arm, she genuinely wants to be a lawyer to help out people because she becomes friends with a woman who is down on her luck, who works for a hair and nail salon, and just, she decides that she wants to show that just because she's blonde doesn't mean she's not smart. And I've, I've, I've enjoyed the film. I've seen it many times in my life. It spawned a 
pretty significant franchise. It has a couple of sequels, a directed TV sequel, and even a Broadway musical. Now, when it comes to the cast of this film, again, Elle Woods was played by Reese Witherspoon. Now, Reese Witherspoon, since the time she has been in this movie, has won Academy Awards, so she's proven to be a fantastic actress. This was just one of her earlier roles. Uh, probably her earliest role was Man in the Moon. Uh, she was also in Cruel Intentions, Sweet Home Alabama. She played June Carter Cash in Walk the Line. She was also in the movies Wild and Mud, and portrayed, uh, portrayed provided the singing voice and uh, speaking voice of a main character in the movie Sing. Her eventual love interest in the film, Emmett Richards, was played by Luke Wilson, who is known for Idiocracy, Old School, The Royal Tenenbaums. He played Kelsell's older brother on that 70s show in a few episodes, but the first film I ever actually saw him in was in Blue Streak, which had Martin Lawrence in it. He's also in My Super Ex-Girlfriend, which I have a funny story about that film. Uh, I grew up in the state of Utah. My friends and I went and saw that movie in theaters, and when it gets to the point where he has a new girlfriend and he's trying to get her to hide out, he's telling her, I don't know, you should go somewhere she's never going to think of you, like go to Afghanistan, Europe, uh, Utah. It, it, just, it made everybody in the theater laugh because we were in Utah. Anyway, here and there. Vivian Kensington, who is the new fiancé character for Elwood's ex-boyfriend, and eventually becomes best friends with Elle Woods, was played by Selma Blair. Now, Selma Blair was also in Cruel Intentions with Reese Witherspoon. But since that time, she was also in The Sweetest Thing, uh, The Fog, A Guy Thing. She played Kris Jenner on the American Crime Story about O.J. Simpson, but she got international fame from her role in Hellboy and Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Professor Callahan, who is the law professor who takes on interns for cases and has a little bit of a, a sleaze, uh, almost a, uh, oh, there's a there's a lawyer I'm trying to think of who his name was. Fran Dershowitz. Takes on a little bit of a Dershowitz vibe. Was portrayed by Victor Garber. Now, Victor Garber's predominantly known for theater work. He's won four different Tony Awards during his career, but he's also been in uh, actual feature-length films, including Sleepless in Seattle. He was in Titanic, Milk, Argo. And as far as television goes, he plays a character in the Arrowverse on Legends of Tomorrow, which he actually began his role in The Flash. I'm not huge into the Arrowverse, to be honest with you, so I really could not tell you who exactly he played. I read it, and it just my brain just slid right past it. Paulette Bonafonte, who is the character I mentioned earlier in the salon, hair salon, nail salon place, that becomes friends with Elle, is portrayed by Jennifer Coolidge. Now, Jennifer Coolidge is a, is a graduate of the Groundlings, which is an improv comedy group, which... I've seen several different uh, productions put on by the Groundlings on various different media. I, I love improv comedy. Um, she's been in a couple of satire movies, including Best in Show, Date Movie, Epic Movie, things like that. But she's also been in the films Down to Earth, A Mighty Wind. Um, she portrayed Stifler's mom in the American Pie series. And a lot of people that are fans of Legally Blonde that like these kinds of movies will recognize her from A Cinderella Story. Professor Stromwell, who is the the professor who, I'm not going to say she becomes like a mentor to her, but the one that Elle Woods derives the most like inspiration from, portrayed by Holland Taylor. Now, Holland Taylor was a TV actress who was in The Practice and Two and a Half Men for many, many years on both of those shows. But she has also, again, been in theatrical films. She's been in Romancing the Stone. Uh, she was in the 2021 sequel, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, she was in Wedding Date, and the first place I ever saw her in was in 
George of the Jungle, where she played Ursula's mother. Uh, Brooke Taylor Wyndham, who is the wife who is in... Okay, so in the, in the concept of the movie, the trial that Elle Woods gets brought on to intern is a murder trial. The woman who was killed, or I'm sorry, the woman whose husband was killed. Sorry about that. So the, uh, the woman whose husband was killed, who's on trial for murdering her husband, is Brooke Taylor Wyndham. She's played by Allie Larder. Allie Larder, of course, is in Final Destination, A Lot Like Love, Varsity Blues, and probably more well-known as of late for her role in the TV series Heroes. And the daughter of the murdered man was played by Chutney Windham, or I'm sorry, is Chutney Windham, was played by Linda Cardellini. Linda Cardellini, of course, has been in a lot of TV shows like Freaks and Geeks, uh, ER, Dead to Me. She portrayed Velma in the Scooby-Doo live-action movies, the first two. Uh, She was in Brokeback Mountain. She's appeared in the MCU as Hawkeye's wife. Uh, Daddy's Home, Daddy's Home 2. She's She's a pretty prolific actress. The funny thing about these two is there is a scene in this movie where the daughter is on trial, or I'm sorry, the daughter is testifying at the trial, and she starts getting mentally broke to where she reveals what actually happened, and during the course of that, she screams that, about her stepmother, she's like, she's my age, do you 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 know that, do you understand that? Uh, Allie Larder was 25 at the time of filming this film, while Linda Cardellini had just turned 26. They were only a couple of months apart in age, so indeed, they are the same age. There were a couple of other actors that were in this in brief uh, moments. Uh, voice actor Bruce Thomas, who I've brought up on this show before, played the UPS guy who Paulette is obsessed with. Uh, Raquel Welch appeared as the ex-wife of the murdered mogul. And the gay pool boy was played by Greg Serrano. Now, you're probably wondering why I have not mentioned uh, Elle Wood's former love interest in this film, the Warren character. He was portrayed by Matthew Davis, who is predominantly a television actor. Um, he's He hasn't really been in a whole lot of major cinematic releases. But as far as television goes, he, he was in Vampire Diaries almost the entire run of it. Um, once we get into the production of this, I mean, like I said earlier, it was originally a book written by Brown about her time at Stanford. Um, while she was at Stanford, she said she quickly realized that she had made a mistake, (laughs) that she was not really this kind of person. She saw a flyer for a meeting of the women of Stanford, and she thought, you know, I can go to this and I can meet some like-minded people. And she said it was not a meeting of women. It was a meeting of a bunch of very angry women who actually legitimately petitioned to get the phrase semester turned into the phrase Ovester. That particular conversation and petition actually makes it into the film as well. Uh, due to her time there, she, I mean, she wrote letters to her mother about her experiences. And her mother suggested, you know, you could write a book about this. You really could. She thought about initially just writing like a series of essays, but decided, you know, my mom's right. I can, I can go ahead and write a book about this. She wrote a manuscript about it, shopped it around. It received no attention and interest from anybody. So she rewrote it on pink letterhead that was scented. Another thing that makes it into the film. You know, it, it, it got noticed quickly at that point, and actually a bidding war ensued as to 
what production company would be able to make it into a book, and eventually what company would be able to make it into a movie as well. Uh, Mark Platt was, you know, he was intrigued by this because he's like, you know, I, I feel like this movie is, this this book, just reading this, it could be a funny, empowering kind of movie. Like, it's it's not just a typical dumb blonde goes to college kind of thing. Like, we can make something out of this. Lutz and Smith actually spent time at Stanford doing research, meeting with sorority girls, walking around campus, getting a general feel for what college life is like for this kind of thing. And Lukedich was actually drawn to this film big time because, again, he had just come to Hollywood off the strength of a short film. He wanted something that was going to be a breakthrough film. And when he read this, he was like, okay, this is, this is definitely it. And they took it to the studio, and the studio was like, okay, we'll go ahead and we'll... They were given a budget, and they were given the ability to make this movie. Now, the studio did not know that this was going to be a movie about women's empowerment. They thought it was going to be more of a wet t-shirt, American Pie style of film. And Lukedich and them were determined to be like, no, no, that's that's not what this is. You're going to be surprised by what you see. They wrote over 10 different drafts of the script, including, like, they, they would have what they thought was done, well written out, and over with only to get back together at 11.30 midnight and redraw it up. Like, it, it took a while for them to get the script directly how they wanted it to do. Even Reese Witherspoon spent time with sorority girls to try and kind of... I don't want to say she's like... Anthrop- I think I believe she did use the word anthropological study, kind of jokingly about that, trying to be around these people and kind of take in how they act and bring that to herself. But she spent time with them to try and learn how to better portray a a stereotypical sorority girl type of character. Most of the cast was simple enough to get because just just due to characterization, it's like, okay, well, we need uh, an older, attractive woman who's down on her luck and has kind of that, well, Jennifer Coolidge, she's a very good comedian. Uh, We need someone who can portray a hard-nosed, not necessarily feminist, but powerful woman who has made it in a male-dominated world kind of professor, Holland Taylor. She's perfect. She was in the practice. That was was excellent. Things like that. It was real simple. There were a couple of characters that were a little bit more difficult to cast. Probably the hardest one to cast was Elle Woods. Um, The studio, based on the title of Legally Blonde, just wanted someone who was just a pretty face who could act ditzy or kind of like stumble through this kind of thing, whereas... Lukedich and Platinum did not. They wanted someone who had more of a gravitas, who had more brains, and was not just a pretty face. And they knew within about five pages through the draft that they wanted Reese Witherspoon for it. MGM did not agree. Uh, they wanted a multitude of different actresses considered, including Charlize Theron, Gwyneth Paltrow, Alicia Silverstone, Katherine Heigl, Christina Applegate, Mila Jovovich, and Jennifer Love Hewitt as well. It, it just, it didn't matter. Luke Edison and them, they, they knew it had to be Witherspoon. The problem with that was Reese Witherspoon had portrayed a very shrew-like woman in a movie called Election. And because of Election, she was in real danger of being typecast in that kind of a role. You know, it's, it, when you, if you get typecast in Hollywood, it's very difficult to get different roles. That's why you don't really see people who are predominantly known for comedy films necessarily all get to do dramatic films you don't often like it astounded people for example 
with Jeff Daniels having such a stupid comedic success in Dumb and Dumber because he was predominantly known as a dramatic actor. Um, in more recent years, guys like Jim Carrey have tried to break out of that. Like his effort on The Truman Show, The Majestic, those were his attempts to try and get away from just doing comedy. So if you get typecasting in Hollywood, it can be difficult. And some actors have actually flat out quit because they're not going to be able to get other work. Um, Jack Gleason, who played Joffrey Baratheon in Game of Thrones, he quit for two reasons. He quit because he was getting just absolute venomous, vitriolic. He portrayed a character, guys. He didn't. He was not Joffrey, but fans hated them so much that between that and not being able to get out of that typecast of playing that type of character, Jackson was like, you know, I'll just go back to school and get done with school and get a regular job. So, and because of the movie Election, Reese Witherspoon had actually been passed over several times for other films. She actually had to meet with executives at MGM multiple times go through a long audition process. She had to ask questions about how sorority life and being a co-ed was, even though she's like she herself had dropped out of college and had never been in a sorority a day in her life. Eventually, after about a month-long process, she got the role. So that tells you a couple things. One, that tells you that how serious Lucetta and them were about wanting Witherspoon, but it also shows you her tenacity in trying to get a role that she knew she could do that was not going to pigeonhole her in one type for the rest of her life. The only other actor that was kind of a bit of a question was Luke Wilson. Now, they wrote the Emmett character with Luke Wilson in mind to the point that not only did they write, like, his mannerisms, but the way he looked, they're like, this is going to be Luke Wilson. And they were like, you know, why don't we just get the Luke Wilson guy to play the Luke Wilson guy? MGM wanted somebody a little bit more... I'm not going to say traditionally handsome, but they wanted somebody else in the role. Eventually, they they saw the light on that, and they went ahead and went with Luke Wilson. And of course, because this is Legally Blonde, I would be 100% remiss if I did not at least mention the costuming in this film. The lead costume designer and Reese Witherspoon actually bonded over a mutual appreciation and love of Dolly Parton. They met with sorority girls for ideas. They tried looking at like what the general color. They didn't want, they originally they did not want to do pink because they were worried it's going to be too stereotypical. They were like, let's look into doing shades of purple or shades of blue, like lavender, uh, periwinkle, things like that. But eventually after meeting with so many different sorority girls, they're like, no, pink really is probably the best option here. Now, Reese Witherspoon actually had over 40 different hairstyles in this film. I mean, that's insane. You know, everybody remembers, at least older folks remember, that women in the, in the 90s would go in to get their hair done and they'd ask for the Rachel because of Rachel's hair on Friends, Jennifer Aniston. Over the course of Friends, I think she had 9 or 10, maybe 11 hairstyles. That's over a 10-year TV series. This is an hour-and-a-half-long movie, and they put over 40 hairstyles. I, I can't imagine that Reese Witherspoon was terribly thrilled by having hairdressers in her face so much throughout the course of the film. I'm sure she was a good stu uh, sport about it, but still, that's, that's a lot of hairstyles. And the idea behind that, especially even the hair coloring itself, I don't 
personally know this from experience, but from what I've read and from what I've gathered from people I've talked to, blonde is open for interpretation. There's a difference between having blonde hair and being a blonde. So, when it came time to actually film the movie, it, now filming didn't take very long. It was a pretty simple concept. It went from October to December of the year 2000. And it was filmed predominantly, while even though it was set at Harvard, it was filmed at the University of Southern California, Caltech, and a local high school in California. USC actually refused to allow their name to be used in the film in any way, shape, or form out of fear of it being stereotyped for a party school or a sorority school or whatever the case may be. Uh, personally, I think that was a mistake, as I will get to shortly and you'll see. So they ended up having to make a fictional school for her to have gone to called C-U-L-A. Over the course of the filming of this movie, the, uh, one of the things they wanted to do was they wanted to give a subplot for the Paulette character. They tried for several days to try and write in what they were going to do about this. They tried, okay, well, what if the salon gets robbed? What if somebody gets hit by a car right outside? Uh, and just a bunch of different things. And none of it ever felt upright and felt right at all. While they were at a bar, they being Lukedich and the writing duo of Smith and, and then, uh, Smith, while drunk, invented the move, the bend and snap on the spot. Just kind of like a, we'll give her a love interest kind of thing. And she's got to try and get him. So she invented on the spot. It, they choreographed it. They did a dance number to it. Like it, it became a whole thing. It almost wasn't even in the film because they just couldn't figure out something. And if it weren't for them going to a bar, brainstorming and drinking, it wouldn't have made it. And that's probably one of the most iconic things that came out of this movie. I mean, Reese Witherspoon has said herself that there, she will be giving a speech somewhere. She will be having a talk. She'll be meeting fans and she'll be asked to do it. She's like, I'll be, I'm going to be asked to do the bend and snap until I'm 95 years old at this rate. Finally, when it came time for the ending of the film, as far as all the filming process and writing, uh, the original ending, after the courthouse scene was over, she kissed Emmett, then it jumps forward a year in town, her friend Vivian is now blonde, and they have started the Blonde Legal Defense Club. Test audiences did not like that. They felt it was weak, it was out of place, because this wasn't a rom-com, like the kiss didn't feel like it was meant to, it needed to be there, etc., etc., and they all agreed that, you know, a, a new ending needed to be made. And they agreed that a new ending needed to be made standing there in the lobby of the theater after the test screening. So they decided, you know, this has been a movie about empowerment, about showing what she can do, what she can do. Let's go ahead and film a graduation scene. Reese Witherspoon was filming another movie at the time, The Importance of Being Earnest. Luke Wilson was filming a different movie at the time as well. And because of where Reese was filming, they had access to what would look like an amphitheater where college graduates would be for something as, I'm not going to say small scale as law school, but you don't see 2,000 people graduating from law school at one time. So it was needed to be a smaller thing. And they went there and they brought everybody there to film it there. Because they were filming different movies, Reese Witherspoon had cut her hair short and was wearing a different style, and Luke Wilson 
I'm not sure what movie he was filming at the time. If you look at the timing of it, him playing a skinhead or him playing a war hero, both are around that same time. So he would have had like a crew cut or a, a buzzed head at some point. Both of them had to wear wigs for that scene. Otherwise, they just would not have looked like themselves from the movie. So, But the, the new ending tested much better, and I think it does put a much better cap on the film itself. When the movie was released, it, it came to mostly positive reviews. Like Roger Ebert gave it 3 out of 4 and said that the film, and especially Reese Witherspoon as Elle Woods, are impossible to dislike. A lot of praise was given for the quick wit and characterization of it. A lot of praise went to Reese Witherspoon as well. It was called by some to be the best empowerment movie for teen girls in years. It did get some less than great reviews from critics. Probably the biggest critics of the film were actually legal scholars who criticized a lot of the film for legal accuracy. They're like, a law student that is not licensed through the bar would never, ever be allowed to question a witness or take part in a trial to that extent. If they did... That's an unauthorized use of law, and they'd probably be, if they weren't gonna, if they were gonna get, they were gonna pass the bar, they were no longer going to, and they probably would be banned from the bar across the country. Guys, it's a movie. I understand that you're not writing a video essay where you're floating on a floaty in a pool to try and get into Harvard Law. I get that, and most people watching it will get that too. They they don't need to be upset about that kind of thing. In fact, from what I understand, Harvard actually even shows that scene where she gives the little video application for the school, and it's like she gets it. They actually show that at Harvard and be like, this is not how you get into Harvard Law. It's like, really? You guys are probably just upset that after decades of well-respected lawyers coming out, the most attention your college got from the law aspect is from a movie. And again, I stress, it is a movie. It does not need to be 100% accurate to life. If it was meant to be accurate to life, it would have been on A&E Biography, or it would have been on the History Channel, and it would have been straight facts, interviews, and a couple of dramatizations of what you're seeing. So I, I think they need to just kind of, they, they needed to kind of ease off on that. This movie left pretty, pretty, Decent uh, legacy. I mean, Wisman has said that at least once a week she is told by a woman that her movie inspired them to go to law school. As an actor that's doing something like that, I can't imagine that would be higher praise. You know, that's that to her, that's got to be validation that I did a good job with this movie, that I empowered someone who was 15 to study hard, get into law school, and become a lawyer. I mean, this movie's 20 years old now. That's that's kind of hard to to think about and realize that that movie has been out for 20 years. There have literally been people that were born the year it came out who saw the film as a teenager, decided to study hard, and made it into law school at 21, 22 years old around the time we are in now. Oh, man. I, it, it's If you don't like this movie, then I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> it's... Like I said earlier, it, it spawned a series of films. It spawned a franchise, really. Uh, a theatrical sequel, Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. That was all right. Directed DVD, Legally Blondes, was terrible. Like, if I could recommend to anybody 
to avoid any movie, avoid that one. It's just, it's not good. Now, there's actually a third film in development being written by Mindy Kaling. It's probably going to get a theatrical release, and if it does, I will probably go see it. Simply because I, I liked the second one well enough, and enough time has gone by. I'd be curious to see what a third Legally Blonde movie is going to be now. I really would. As I mentioned earlier, this franchise also spawned a musical that has been on Broadway since 2007. No, I mean, the, the musical hasn't won any awards, as far as I can find. Like, it's not praised as this end-all, be-all, wonderful musical experience. But it was well enough received that it even got to go on London's West End. And MTV actually eventually did a TV series to find a new Elle Woods, because the actress that was playing Elle Woods in the Broadway adaptation at that time had decided to step down. So, I mean, if your movie was successful enough that it spawned a franchise and a musical, you did something right. I, Like I said, I love the movie. I watched the movie. I'm not going to say I watch it every year, because there are some films like Jaws or Goodwill Hunting that I will legitimately watch every single year. And I mean, I don't think a single Christmas season goes by that I don't watch Christmas Vacation or my own personal favorite movie to watch around then is Blues Brothers. I know it's not a Christmas movie. It's still my favorite movie. But it's it's a it's a good movie. I greatly enjoy it. When she gets older, I will, of course, let my daughter watch it because I think she'll really like it. And she, she wants to be a... In her words, a scientist that studies dinosaur bones. And I'm like, if you want to be a paleontologist, you be a paleontologist. The fact that she has those kinds of grandiose ideas, it's like, how could I not try and cultivate that and encourage that kind of attitude? So I can't personally say anything bad about the film. I, I really like the film. And yeah, that was that is this week's episode. That is Legally Blonde. Um, so next week's episode, before I announce that one, I have been toying with an idea back and forth for a few weeks now about doing a secondary series with this podcast. Now, I do, of course, the Actor Showcase, which that's probably going to be infrequent. That's probably going to be once every, I don't know, month, month and a half, something like that. It's, it's not going to be as common of a thing as just the regular episodes. But I've been toying with the idea of adding another show, like a midweek show, a short show, that is not so much on production details as it is just kind of like a little bit of a review. But the review wouldn't be on films, exactly. Um, it would probably be more on... I, I don't want to necessarily say television shows, but like shows that came out in the 80s and 90s that I enjoyed as a child that I still watch now as an adult. Like, I grew up a huge fan of Alvin and the Chipmunks. One of the things I loved about Alvin and the Chipmunks, there was a 1980s TV series where the last season of it became Alvin and the Chipmunks Go to the Movies, where the Chipmunks would essentially reenact a movie. And the first one I ever saw was Batmunk, where Theodore played Batmunk, who was obviously Batman. I'm not, I'm sorry, not Theodore, Simon. Simon played Batmunk, who is Batman. Theodore played his butler, and Alvin was the essential Joker character, the jokester. I love those. I would love to rewatch them. 
And I've been kind of toying with the idea of rewatching things like that and giving like a little review. And it doesn't even have to be like an episode by episode review. Like I could do an episode on the TV series Life with Louie where I just talk about how much I enjoyed that show and where you can find it now. So, but I'm not 100% certain. I will probably make a more concrete announcement on that later. But enough of that. Next week's episode, South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. That's right. I'm doing the South Park movie. I loved that movie. I got to see that movie in theaters as a kid. Don't judge me on that one. And I'll never forget the first time my brother and I rented it from Hollywood video. That's not, not Blockbuster video now. Hollywood video. I'm kind of dating myself a little bit there. <laughs> we found it in the musical section. So, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I've been a lifelong fan of South Park. So, again, this was Legally Blonde. Next week, we're going to be covering South Park, the movie. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll enjoy next week. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I am Kid Kong, and I will see you at the movies.